What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Q Podcast. And this is for the culture part two. Welcome back to the Q Podcast. As I stated in the intro, this is For the Culture Part 2. And this episode, we are going to be really diving into some of these deep-seated issues that exist within the black community. Now, the first part was kind of just like a a general overview of kind of all things. And this episode, we're going to get a little bit specific. So, please, please... Take a seat, sit back, relax, and and enjoy the ride, you know. Now, I do apologize for getting the episode out late. Um, I woke up pretty early, and <laughs> as per usual on my Saturdays, um, <laughs> I did this back-and-forth game of going to sleep, waking up, going to sleep, waking up, saying, you know what, I should get up and eat something. Go back to sleep, wake up again, like, oh shit, what time is it? That sort of thing. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and so, not too long ago, I just finished, like, cooking and eating and, like, you know, giving myself the energy that I was going to need to even record the episode in the beginning. So, yeah, self-care. If you haven't drank your water today, if you haven't eaten a meal today, go do that. Put the episode on pause and go take care of yourself. I will be here when you come back. Now, some of the things we're going to be talking about in this episode are going to be things like gatekeeping, colorism, interracial dating, just to name a few, right? And so probably gatekeeping is probably like the biggest, it it probably encompasses all of those other things. Um, And so gatekeeping has been something that has been a issue for such a long time. Like I don't even remember you know, well, actually, no, I I mean, the little that I know, gatekeeping, at least from my knowledge base, started right after, well, not right after slavery, but it started during that period where there were more blacks in the North um, during, like, the Civil War era, and, you know, there was a more uh, prominency of lighter-skinned or fair-skinned black people. And the idea that, you know, if you were white-passing, that you were treated differently. And, you know, I I believe, I I think it's safe to say that gatekeeping kind of started there um, for many reasons. And, And, you know, even if we kind of take it a little bit backwards to slavery, again, white passing slaves um, were treated differently as well. And it is really interesting to think about the progression of these things because back in slavery times, if you were fairly white passing, um, for whatever reason, the white master would take a liking to you and, and maybe they would approach you and ask you to be you know, a house slave instead of a field worker. And the idea there was that the slaves who worked um, in the house um, oftentimes got better treatment. Um, So A, they were allowed to live in the quote-unquote big house, um, which means they often had heat, running water, that sort of thing. And compared to field workers who did not, they lived in shacks or shanties or whatever you want to call them, Um, they didn't have very much, you know, provision and, you know, they were, you know, they had to work, um, hours upon hours in the field in all kinds of weather, you know, that sort of thing. And so being a house slave was a very different experience than being a field worker. And while we all know that it doesn't matter, they were all slaves, 
it seemed to create this division. And there's many shows and movies, you know, it's it's always portrayed in any slave movie or show that you watch. It's it's always portrayed that there's a distinction between, you know, the house slaves and the field workers. And there's always, there's it, it's always there. There's always a conversation at some point during one of these shows or some point during one of these movies where the house slave seems to be acting like uppity because they're a house slave and the field worker slave has to, you know, knock them down a couple pegs and go, you're still a slave though. You're still property to them. You will never be other than what you are. You just have on different clothes, you know, or you just live in a different place, but you're still, you know, essentially you're still black and you're still going to struggle the way the rest of us are. You know, you're just having a better time of it right now. And, you know, in reality, it's, it's, it's true. It makes sense that, you know, essentially they're, they're in the same boat. Um, they're just, or excuse me, they're in the same water. They're in the same body of water. They're just in different boats at the time. Um, and and it's usually something small that tends to, you know, the house slave usually falls from grace in a like in a very ridiculous manner um and and i think that might be done on purpose to highlight the fact that slavery in general the psychology there is is that there were some slaves who did feel better than the field workers because they lived in the big house and they got special treatment from the master and his family or what have you and in th- their fall from grace in its ridiculousness is just like you know you're still a slave and 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 this is how we're going to portray it and it's because when you get that chip on your shoulder the only way to knock you down a few pegs is to highlight how you know how um uh like how lowest person on the totem pole you actually were you know when when in those in those movies in those narratives that that the house slave is usually like you know the the, the person that where we don't get to see much of we usually are focused on the field workers and you know their um their kind of like freedom story and how they're going to escape and this and that and you know uh, again the house slave is kind of this antagonist to the field worker to say you know well you know why are you going to leave and and you know you have all of this here and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and they're kind of like out of touch with the reality of what the field worker has to go through because they have a different experience of slavery. Um, but make no mistake, they are still slaves. And so until there's that fall from grace and their realization that, you know, I'm just like the field worker, I am just wearing different clothes, or, you know, I just see a different side of the plantation than they do, it's it's very much this distinction of you know i'm i'm better than you to a degree until something ridiculous happens and and they're you know they're thrown to the dogs or their master throws them under the bus and you know then it's like wait wait you know i i served you faithfully for x amount of you know years or or whatever time frame and th- and then they realize like oh you know i i'm not different uh, you know, this <laughs> This is still slavery times, and I'm still a slave, and this is what that means. I'm still property to this other person. Um, and so, in modern times, I, I think that seems to translate to the black Americans who have been, n- not to say overly educated, but they've been thoroughly educated on, on some of these other notions within society and we try to I say we because I I am an educated black person um I have a master's degree and that's not to say that anybody who doesn't isn't educated um but I know that within my family education was something that was very um concretely and directly pushed it was something that was almost made to seem as a necessity. We needed to be educated because if we were not, then we were going to be assumed or presumed to be ignorant or to be stupid or people were going to think that they could, you know, get over on us simply because we were black. And 
the idea of us being educated would somehow balance that out or, or eliminate that, you know, pre-bias or that pre-prejudice that somebody would have. And, and as we know today, it does not, you know, again, example, prime example, Barack Obama, you know, he has a degree from Harvard and, you know, he, he, he was the leader of the free world and still, you know, he got treated with bias and prejudice. And, and so no matter how um, high up we get on that scale of advancement, um, there is no amount of um, kind of work we can do that will remove that idea that bias isn't present or remove that idea that prejudice isn't going to happen. And that is, I I really do believe that the reason for that is because so much of the world and so much of society has been built around the idea that we are not the same. You know, we, we are seen as less than, we are seen as second class, we are seen as bottom of the totem pole. And it's, it's really interesting to think about because all of these things, I believe, had their roots in slavery in one form or another. And, you know, going, you know, if it wasn't slavery, it was segregation, you know, and the Jim Crow laws. And, and there's so many things that have been put into place to keep black people from advancement. And it's just like, why? You know, what are you afraid of? You know, and 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 I and again that even that that idea of fear it goes back to slavery of white masters being afraid of their slaves revolting and, and killing them and 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 putting them into slavery um, for all of the years of torment and and um, degradation and, and humiliation that they put black people through. The fear was that if black people ever realized how powerful they were with our numbers, because we greatly outnumbered white slave owners um, and their families. And if we ever caught on to that fact that we were just going to overrun them. Um, And like I said in the last episode, not that we don't care, but that wasn't a priority for us. Like, we just wanted to be treated like human beings. We really, I mean, sure, there were people who wanted their revenge. But for the most part, we didn't care about y'all. Like, we, we just wanted to be left alone and to be able to do our own things, you know, without somebody hawking over us all the time. And, you know, so so this idea of gatekeeping, it it comes from both within and outside of the communities. And so this these levels of oppression that we have to deal with um, are usually twofold you know so we have the the outside groups everyone else telling us you know what is black culture what we should do as black people what we should respond to as black people we have all of that coming from outside of the community but then when you come inside of the community you know it's 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 there as well if not just as worse um as the people outside doing it but the where it is worse is that it's coming from inside the community and so it's like the idea that someone you know someone from um someone from the outside group who does not have any sort of lived experience um of being black or black identified in any way it's very easy for us to dismiss that from them because it's like well you don't know my experience you know you're not black so you don't get it and so it's very easy to just kind of push that off or let it roll off your shoulder and you know, it's, it's, it's just a comment, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a, a comment from a misunderstanding person because they are not black. So they don't know my lived experience. They don't have any examples of racism or bias or prejudice to draw from as a black person. And so you can just go, well, that's them. But when it comes from inside the community, when you are faced with family members, friends, you know, other black identified coworkers, um, you know, all of these other people who might have a similar experience to you, who do have a similar experience to you, and they're telling you, you know, you're not doing this right, or you're not responding right, or you're, you know, you're not portraying the black community in a good way, it, it, it does something, you know, because you, you think in your head, well, this person does know what it's like, and so am I doing something 
wrong? You know, am I portraying the community as something, um, uh, you know, as something not good? Am I perpetuating the cultural stereotypes that we have come to believe are um, typical of, of black people or black culture in general? And so the oppression that we feel both from others and from the people closest to us or the people who have lived a closer example of our experience as black identified people is twofold. And so it's very hard to find your individuality as a black person because you know you have everyone else telling you you need to assimilate and then you have the people on the other side going no you need to stay true to the culture and it's so hard to find that balance um, especially when you have one experience at home and then whenever you leave your home it's something different so for myself Again, like I said, education was something that was pushed very heavily on both sides of my family. And so being educated, you know, through, you know, good schools and and different programs and different activities and extracurricular things, you know, kind of doing all the things that would, quote unquote, set me up for later in life having all of that being framed as if you don't do this, you know, you're not going to amount to anything or you're going to be perceived as someone who can't amount to anything. And so having the idea that I always have to be doing something towards progress, I always have to be making, you know, an advancement type of move, um, at the time, didn't really register for me as a kid because I felt like, well, I want to succeed. I like it when I do good. You know, when I when I do good or, or when I get good grades or whatever, you know, I, I feel good about myself. You know, for, for forget how everyone else feels. Like, it's, it's nice to see everyone else happy about that and it's nice to get gifts or whatever for, for doing good things. But it makes me feel good to succeed, to, you know, have a high grade on my test or, or whatever, or to get a good grade on a paper. And it got to a point where some of the things that I took as success were viewed as mediocre. Um, and it was just like, well, wait a minute, like, the, you know, the, this isn't subpar, this isn't average, like, you know, it's not easy to do this. And, and I know because I'm the one that's done it. Um, but it was framed as a that's not good enough. And there is an episode in the TV show Scandal that used to run on ABC where Olivia is having a conversation with her father, who was a, you know, you know, y'all know he was like crazy. But her, the conversation between them is, is and I think I mentioned this in the last episode too, the conversation between them basically goes to to say that Papa Pope is saying to Olivia that she he's reminding her of something that he used to tell her as a child and he's really like you know he's driving it in and and she's just like you know dad do we really have to talk about that that's not what this is blah 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 and he's just like what did I tell you you know what did I what did I say what did I say and he just keeps harping on her about it. And she finally goes, you have to do twice as much to, you know, you have to be twice as good to get half as much. And and that is the idea. That is, I, I do believe that that is something so prevalent within black communities is that that is what we are taught. We are taught that we have to do twice as much to be considered half as good. And it's a, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. It's really toxic when you think about it from a backwards point of view, because it, again, it sets up that idea that no matter what we do, we're not going to be, we're never going to be treated the same way. We're never going to be seen in the same light. And to teach that to a child is even more, you know, it's even more mind boggling. Because, again, for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, as a child, I didn't realize that that's what it was. To me, it was just, oh, my family wants me to do good, 
and I want to do good. And when I did do good, it felt good to do that. And so it just felt natural. Like, okay, well, that that's what's supposed to happen. You know, you're supposed to get good grades. You're supposed to, you know, get awards. You're supposed to, you know, win trophies. And you're supposed to participate in all these activities and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you're supposed to do all these things because if those are the things you like, then you do them. Not, it, it, it never felt like to me growing up that I was doing something because I was trying to prove that I was, th- that I could do it as a black person. Like, for me, it was, oh, well, if I wanted to play a sport, I played the sport because I enjoyed it. Not, I'm going to play the sport to be the first black kid to, you know, beat the school record or something. Like, but I feel like anytime I presented any one of my accolades or any one of my accomplishments, it was, it was portrayed that way. It was taken that way as, oh, well, are you the only, you know, are you the only black kid on your team or are you the only black kid in your club or or, you know, are you the only black kid doing this type of activity? And it was just like, why is that important? You know, why is that something that has to be considered? Why can't it just be, I like this thing, I'm doing it, and I'm good at it? You know, why do, why does it have to be about whether I'm the first black person to do it or I'm the only black person to do it in that area? Like, I understand that representation piece of it, to, to be the first black person to do something or, or to put, you know, to be the person to... Um, introduce that sort of representation in an area, I understand the importance of that. But I don't think it should permeate every single little thing that we do as black people. If you are the first black person to do something or to start a movement or whatever, more power to you. Do it up. You know, create that path for us because we need it. You know, we, we do need those paths in the black community for other people to, to pave the way so that it does become more natural. It does become more commonplace to see black people in those areas. I think it becomes where it can become a problem is when everything is is highlighted about that. Um, you know, and so when people talk about the, you know, when people talk about I'm trying to think of a good example. One's not coming to mind. Um, okay, maybe like Madam C.J. Walker, right? So we think about her, you know, and she's she's known as the first black, what is it, millionaire, I think it was, or self-made millionaire, something like that. And, you know, she's, she's known as the person who created, you know, um, or, or created like a widespread use of the hot comb and this and that and, and all these hair products and blah, blah, blah. Now, if you know anything about her specifically you'll know that she wasn't the first um black person to do that what she was was the first black person to make it accessible or to or to kind of you know really like high level market that sort of thing um now there was a documentary about her a docudrama about her on netflix and you know if you watch the docudrama, you'll see that she was working for another person of color who, at the time, um, I, I don't, I don't know if the actual representations were accurate or not, but based on this docudrama, it would seem that the person that Madame C.J. Walker worked for was a more of a white passing type of person, and so of course, her. Her level of success was treated a lot different than someone like Madam C.J. Walker, who was more dark-skinned and more, you know, uh, per- she she was she was more openly perceived as an African American woman, which which I'm sure came with a whole bunch of preconceived notions. Now, moving into the colorism part of the argument, that's probably one of the biggest gatekeeping. Um, you know, you know, subtopics ever, because it happens not only here in America, but I believe it happens everywhere else, too. I mean, if you think about, it's, it's something that is really, you know, kind of large scale. I mean, if you think about, you know, movies like Hotel Rwanda and, you know, 
Trevor Noah's accounts of apartheid and and that experience of being white passing in a community that was, you know, probably more dark-skinned and, and, and this idea of being based around the the criminality of interracial relationships and it's just like well you know now you're now you're opening up a whole nother can of worms and and i think the interesting thing is that all of these things are connected they're interconnected they all go hand in hand and they they build these levels of oppression again both not only just from outside of the community but inside it as well and it's it's ridiculous like there are so many there's so many barriers, there's so many walls, there's so many levels of oppression that have been built up within the black community, about the black community, you know, to the black community. Like, there's so many things that we have to deal with on all sides that are trying to keep us down. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon, I think, that, that, that black people have probably one of the most versatile like life experiences because of all of these different facets where we're either being kept out or we're being kept at the bottom of things you know and so it it's it's just interesting to see how all of that has evolved over time and and it seems like it's only gotten worse um to the point now where you know we're just being straight out killed for things everyday things that that anyone else can do and, and in these instances where anyone else does do them, those people aren't being killed. And it's like, well, wh- what's going on? You know, wh- are we going backwards now? Because this is the sort of thing that would happen, you know, during slavery times. If a slave stepped out of line, they were either whipped within an inch of their life, beaten within an inch of their life, or they were just simply killed. Like, and w- what does that say about us as a society that we are moving backwards in that respect and it's not okay and the last you know the last few years for black people have just been this one big ball of trauma one right after the other and being a black person today is may seem a lot scary for a lot of people it may seem like the most scary time they've ever lived in compared to you know slavery times or even segregation times, and I'm sure our parents, or, or maybe our grandparents, can attest to what segregation was like, and what, and what Jim Crow laws were like, and for them to see things that may be reminiscent of those times, I'm, I'm sure for them, it's even more, you know, scary to consider that they may have to go through that again, for any reason, whether it be for themselves, or with their children, or even their grandchildren, and, you know, I've seen the comment many times where people have said, you know, you know, I was at the civil rights protests. I, I, I went to rallies. I went to sit-ins and different things like that. And, you know, during my teen years or during my early 20s and 30s, and, and now I'm, you know, 50, 60, 70, and my grandkids are doing the same thing. You, you know, my, they're going to Black Lives Matter protests where they're doing things to caught out the injustices against black people and and the lack of rights that we were being given and it's like well, you know we were fighting for this you know 50 60 70 almost 100 years ago and we're still fighting you know why is it that we have to keep you know we have to keep fighting for the same things and it's 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 amazing to think that something like that that sort of activism hasn't gone away like the whole idea of activism in itself as a general term is to create better avenues so that that line of activism is no longer needed um same thing with my field i am a social worker the idea of social work is that eventually i will be out of a job that is the point we want to have better societies we want to have better communities we want to have better human beings so that people don't need therapists so that people don't need medication so that people don't need you know certain types of social services like we want everyone to have a better opportunity to provide for themselves to provide for their family to stay sane while they do it so that none of us need those jobs 
you know, um, and, and now there's always going to be some sort of social service job that needs to be done, but the jobs that require heavy, you know, heavy intervention, the hope is that those jobs go away as society as a whole progresses and, and hopefully, you know, becomes more humane and more understanding and more empathic, but it seems like we're not getting there. And it seems like we're going back and we're having less empathy and we're having, you know, less humanity and, and, and the, the bestiality of man is, is coming back to light. And it seems like everything is just about, you know, this animal instinct of kill or be killed. And it's like, we don't live in that sort of time anymore. Or maybe we do, and and people are just, you know, aloof to it. You know, we have all these technological advances. We have all these medical advances and different things to cure things and fix problems and, and you know, um, to, to collaborate with each other. And, and all we do is tear each other down and destroy things. And why? You know, Why? Um, what what is it that we are actually trying to accomplish? And if it is the greater good of humanity, then why aren't we why aren't we doing anything to to make that a reality? Why aren't we doing anything to push that agenda? And so, which, which leads me to the idea that for Black people in general, not we not only are we kind of you know. We're, not only are we perceived in part prejudicedly by, you know, as a group, as a whole, um, when you start to go inward about black people on a more individual level, whether it's black women, black men, or black children, again, there, there's these layers. There's these layers of oppression that we have to deal with. And, you know, it... it, it, it it must be hard, you know, it, it, it must be hard to live as a black person today and have to deal with not only people on the outside saying you're not good enough, but also people on the inside doing that, or people on the inside bringing up how, you know, if you're trying to do things to better yourself, the way that you do those things are not good enough. Um, and, and I say it must be hard because like like my experience as a black woman is a lot different than anyone else's experience as a black woman and it it always it doesn't come up much for me but the times that it has it's really been interesting to to note the differences um so I interned at an elementary school my first year of grad school and it was a school in my district that I grew up in but it was a school on the other side of town which was the uh, you know, kind of more of the, the low-income side of town, um, you know, that sort of thing. And I remember my supervisor saying to me, um, so a lot of what we did was kind of like academic stuff, like I did very little therapeutic um, intervention during my internship because the need for that community in the school was more academic-based things and so that's what we did and these were kids who could barely write could barely read could barely spell their own names and things like that um these were kids who were being raised by their grandparents um or aunts and uncles you know not their you know moms or dads usually or there was only like one parent in the, in the home and this that and the third and these were these were kids who lived in a community where community violence was a thing that they had to deal with um we unfortunately had a few shootings in the area um, during my time there and three kids that year lost their parents um, or lost one of their parents and so you know that's the type of environment that these kids were accustomed to that these kids were being raised in and my supervisor you know kind of had the audacity to say to me oh well, you know what it's like you grew up you grew up around here you know or you grew up in this district and in my mind like, I was just baffled because I, I didn't, I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, you know, I, I did not have the same lived experience as any of the kids that I helped. Um, in fact, I had almost the complete opposite. 
experience of the kids that I helped. And I felt it, it was in that moment that I realized my own privilege. Um, and not that I wasn't aware that I didn't have any before, but it, it definitely made me consider the level of privilege that I had, even again, within my own community as a black person. Now, you know, it's, it's really interesting because black women as a group unto themselves are the most oppressed people, just about. Which is interesting when you contrast it with the concept that black women are also the most educated of people. And so it makes you wonder, you know, why? You know, where, how do those two things connect where if as black women we are the ones going to college more, we are the ones starting businesses, we are the ones, you know, trying to become, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs by the time we're 30 or 35, you know, if we are the ones, you know, being homemakers and, and making that work and, and take, you know, raising families on our own and, and doing all of these things, if we have so much power, if we have so many resources available to us, whether it's through, you know, institutional education or life education, how is it that we are also the most oppressed people? And again, it goes back to that idea that we have to do twice as much to be considered half as good. We do all of these things to advance society. We do all of these things to create a better world for all people, not just black people. And yet we are given the short end of the stick every single time. And the question is why? Why is that? You know, what, what is the phenomena that people are dismissing black women and, and disregarding black women and not including black women in these conversations where things improve, you know, and, and I've, I've heard it a lot over the past few months, when things do happen, when changes are made for the better, when progress is something that is on the rise, it is usually a black woman behind it. And even when it's not, a black woman or a black person has had their hand in it. And the idea is that when things improve for black people, things improve for everybody. Prime example, the idea of welfare. The idea of welfare used to be something very simplistic. Um, still created out of racism, but something very simplistic. It used to just be... We are going to create a system that is going to help people who cannot make ends meet, and we, you know it'll it'll give them a supplement, and they'll be able to stay in good financial places, stay in good you know resource allocation, and be able to provide for their families, right? And I don't remember which U.S. president it was, but whoever it was, I don't know if, if he came up with it on his own or if he was fed the idea, but, you know, somehow, some way, the idea was put into place that black women were abusing the system, that they were using welfare as a way to quote-unquote be lazy and the idea of the welfare queen was born now <laughs> what's so funny about that idea is that it was completely made up the idea of the welfare queen she even had a name they made a name for her they made this whole persona for her about what she quote-unquote so-called did um, and taking advantage of the system, and she wasn't even a real person. It was literally a PR thing that they made up to make it a more difficult for black people to get on welfare to begin with, but even more so, if they were on welfare, it made them dependent. 
And what that allowed them to do is on on the opposite side, you know, as they were making black women dependent on the welfare system, it allowed them to kind of vilify black men in the process. Um, and this idea that, okay, well, if, if black, if, if the perception is that black men are nothing but thieves and thugs and, and whatever, then we'll feed, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lock up the black men, which will A, take, take a provider out of a home, which will then prompt the black woman to become dependent on welfare because instead of a two-income household, now she only has one. And heaven forbid that this black family has more than a child. You know, there's there's two, three, four, five children. And that's another stereotype, you know. And, and so there's, again, there's there's all of these things compound on each other and they build this overarching system of oppression that black people have never seemed to have been able to get out from under because it's everywhere. It's built into the systems that have been in place for years that certain types of people, i.e. black people um, and or other minorities, are not to benefit from. Another concept for you, redlining. In most communities, so how we talk about gentrification now with, you know, more prominent um, groups of people or, or, or white people moving into black neighborhoods and, and driving up the prices of things and this and that, that is the opposite of redlining. Um, and so, so gentrification is now the, the counterpart um, or, or the, the counteraction to redlining. And so redlining was an idea that they were going to section off certain communities or certain areas of a town or a county where what kind of once you once you got past that line you kind of moved into a different area and so the, the, for the housing market they used this as a way to keep black people from moving into more prominent areas in different locations so that black people could not have the same access to resources that were usually afforded to whites primary example with being schools and integration and so a lot of the times these schools that were in black communities or in minority communities were not as well provided for and so the edu- the level of education that people often got in the minority schools was a lot lower than the education that people in white schools got accurate example if you've ever watched the movie freedom writers the character that Hillary Swank plays as she plays as a teacher in a low-income school she is giving a lesson on the Nazis and Hitler and Germany and that whole ordeal in the Holocaust and only one of her students knows has any information about the Holocaust and the sad part is she's teaching in a high school so there are kids 16 17 18 who know nothing or who knew nothing about the Holocaust until she came along. And the idea was a really, it was a really good example. It was, a, it was a really good point in history to point out for that particular movie because she was trying to illustrate the propaganda and the, you know, the prejudice and the bias against the Jewish people, compare and contrast it to the bias and prejudice that her kids had even within the same classroom and what had happened was there was there was a kid in the class who made in they made a a kind of slurric caricature of a black kid in the class with like really big lips and she caught the kid and she gave them you know she kind of brought this up and she was like this is exactly what you know, Hitler did in Nazi Germany with the Jews and that sort of thing. And he created this propaganda to, you know, turn everyone against this group of people. And most of the kids were just like, they, they had no idea what she was talking about. And so she asked the question, how many of you in here 
know who Hitler is or, or know what that was about, and only one kid raised their hand, and of course, albeit, that kid was the white kid in the class. And so you have to think about, you know, what is it that, what is it that the majority group, being white people, are so afraid of by giving everyone else access to a certain level of information? And, and, and again, it goes back to this idea of fear, you know, fear that if, fear that there's not enough to go around, fear that if everybody has the same access, that they're going to take ours from us because that's what we did to them. And it's like, <laughs> as a white person, wow, what must your life be like that you live in a constant state of fear just the same way that black people do? from a different context you live in a sense of fear where something is going to be taken from you but not from the basis of you know it's the same it's weird because it's the same type of fear but but on different levels the the fear of the black person the fear of the black community is that we're not going to have anything left you know you've taken so much from us already can you please just leave us with what little we have you know just just leave us alone let us keep what we've already you know gained and and just and just leave us alone let us do our own thing we don't care about you like we don't want to take everything from you we don't want to take your spot like we just want our own you know we just want our own space we don't want yours whereas white people again have that same fear of if, if we give them access, what are they going to take from us? They're going to take it all because we've took it all from them. You know, they're, they're going to leave us with nothing because this is what we keep doing to them. And you'd think after so long, maybe, <laughs> maybe somebody would go, well, what if we stopped taking things? You know, it, it seems kind of like common sense. You know, what if we stop putting policies into place that oppress them? What if we stop treating them as second-class citizens? What if we stop doing all the things that we're afraid they're going to do to us? Maybe that might do the trick, you know? Um, But of course, whatever's happening on their end isn't happening, you know? The the mall is open, but nobody's shopping. And so it's like, huh, you know, simple, simple solution to to a not-so-simple problem would literally just be to be better you know, change the policies that you put in place to make it so that nobody else had any opportunity. Do the things, you know, call out the injustices that you see and rewrite the, rewrite the script, rewrite the programs. And it's like, it's so easy. It, it, it sounds so easy in theory. And, and of course, we all know that it isn't, right? It is not because there is, again, there, because there's been so many layers of oppression that have been built up on these ideals, there, there are going to have to be many layers of solutions that, you know, c- kind of bulldoze the, the whole concept that society was built on to begin with. Um, there's so many biases and there's so many unwritten things that are a part of these rules that have been set up. To, in order to really change them, you literally would have to start from scratch. And one, we as a society don't have that kind of time. And two, I, I don't think we as a society have that kind of mindset that, that anybody wants to start from scratch because the idea that if we start completely over and try to remake society, that there's going to be mass chaos anyway because there's going to be no leadership, there's going to be no structure, there's going to be, you know, kind of the atmosphere of the purge, but on a, a lower level. And it's like, well... I mean, what do you expect, you know, when you are trying to create something new, you're going to fail a few times before you get it right. And when you're trying to recreate something, there's definitely, if you know, if you're trying to make it better and you're trying to make tweaks, you have to make sure you tweak it just the right way. Because again, you don't want to be moving backwards. You don't want to take something that was working and then make it dysfunctional or make it inoperable you know you want to keep moving in that forward 
progressive mindset where things are going to be better. But if you don't have the people who are willing to sit down and listen to those conversations and listen to those concerns and be in those rooms where people need to be, you're not going to have it. You know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, you know, again, from, from black women and black men being, you know, oppressed and 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 kind of boxed in to all these different stereotypes they do the same with black children and again this is something that comes from both inside and outside of the community on the inside again like i mentioned we as black children are kind of groomed to believe that we have to act a certain way be a certain way um do certain things in order to keep people from misperceiving us but on the other side from outside the group we are given completely different mixed messages. We are given the message that we shouldn't make everything about race. We shouldn't play the race card. But then we're treated in ways where the race, the, the race card would be apropos for a reason why we're being treated that way. For example, with young black girls, they are hypersexualized. As children, y'all, and I mean children, like five, six, seven, eight, um, and, and it's known that that most black children, or at least it happened that way for me, we develop a little bit faster. Um, and so, you know, someone could be 12, 13, 14 years old, and they may look 16, 17, 18, you know, and so, you know, this girl goes walking down the street, and there's a group of guys hanging outside, and she's getting all kinds of cat calls and names and this and that, and, and da 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 da. And the idea of that is is incredible, um, because it's like it, it's weird because especially when it's coming from inside the community, again, it's this confusing conundrum of you know me, you know, or or you know my family, you know that I'm only fourteen, you know that I'm only sixteen or whatever. And you're you're talking to me, you're treating me, you're 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 interacting with me as if I'm on your level as an adult and I'm not. Um, and, and so you know, again, there's 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 that same level of confusion and 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 uh, this this weird idea that again, black people as a whole, our lived experience is to be parentified. Or it, it's to be more grown up than we were. It's to hand, we were, we were conditioned to handle situations very early on than we needed to. Prime example, young children being sold into slavery, oftentimes they were sold away from their parents. They were sold away from their siblings. And so they had to grow up very, very quickly. They had to learn to fend for themselves. They had to learn to do what they needed to do to survive without the people who could show them how to do it or even without the people who could show them in an age-appropriate manner and so for a child who is 12 to be taken from their family and sold to another family who now wants this 12 year old child to cook clean you know do laundry and all this other stuff that a grown person should be doing you know, how do you expect for a 12-year-old to act who now has to be a caretaker or has to be, you know, a, a, a homemaker in terms of activities and they have to do the same amount of work that an, an adult does? And again, it creates this division within the community because now you have kids who are basically adults as, you know, adult children um, you know, they're basically, they they basically have adult mindsets in children's bodies. And when they challenge the actual adults within the community, there's a problem. Because now the adults and the, you know, the actual adults in the community are like, well, you're a child, you need to be in a child's place. And it's like, but I haven't been treated like a child. I've been treated as if I'm one of you and, and you're part of the problem. Because now this, this child has certain skills or has certain qualities that are not age appropriate for them and so now there's this clash 
of ideas, right? Of course, the child knows that they would have rathered, preferred to have a childhood than to be parentified or to be brought up in a, an environment where they had to be the adult. But, you know, at that point, you can't change anything. And so it's like, how do we as a community navigate that? You know, if, if you are a child of a single parent household and you grew up being very self-sufficient and self-reliant, how is it that you can go from that to being in a committed, healthy relationship where you can depend on somebody, where you are relying on somebody else for provision or for emotional support or whatever because you've never done it before, you've never had to. It's always just been you and your single parent. And most of the time your single parent was absent because they were out providing, they were working or whatever it was they had to do and you had to fend for yourself. And so how is it that you grow up and you learn what it is to be in a partnership when you've never had to do that before? You know, there's, there's again, all of these different layers and, and how they affect the black community from birth to adulthood. It's just all these compounded things that we 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 don't talk about it enough we don't you know we, we and and when these things start to happen in our lives where we have these difficulties we're so lost because we don't know where it came from we don't know why it's happening because it's never happened to us before and it's just it's just a really really interesting concept that i think that everybody should really take a look at in their lives and really see what it is that they are facing, you know? If, 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 if these types of problems are coming up for you, why do you think that is? You know, what has been your lived experience? Where did you get those messages from that are creating the type of reactions that you're having? You know, get to the root of the problem and try to, try to really, like, figure it out. And I, I do think that the the other level of you know kind of like I was talking about in the beginning with this interracial dating thing and this white passing and this idea of colorism and the gatekeeping that is also a very interesting topic um, I'm going to speak about it a little bit here I'm not going to speak about it too much because I do have another episode um, in a couple of weeks coming out that is going to touch on it more specifically but I do think that it is something worth mentioning right now. And this can be an ongoing discussion. You know, it doesn't have to stop at this episode or the other episode that's coming out later. But it's definitely something that's going to be prominent. Um, and I, I say that because I myself prefer interracial relationships. Um, and I'll explain why in a second. Okay. Sorry, I had to take a short break um recording on my phone only lets you record 60 minutes at a time and i do not have my microphone yet to be able to just kind of record simultaneously um that is in the works though so yay for tax money when that gets here hopefully that'll be something that i can do and start to really you know have a better setup for other types of episodes and how I want to kind of restructure some of the podcasts that way. But anyways, back to my point. So again, this idea of interracial relationships and the level of oppression there is, you know, something that is talked about quite heavily, but it's only talked about from one side. And so a lot of the times you see it's talked about from the idea that black women who don't participate or subscribe to the notion of black love, um, particularly when they are with other races or more specifically white men, um, when they choose to date white men or only dating white men for the, the quote-unquote advantages that might come along with dating someone of the majority culture. And it, it, it seems to perpetuate this idea that black women fetishize white men for their prominence um, or for their status in society. Now, again, this goes along with the idea that black women, although being the most educated and being possibly the most advanced, 
in society are still the most oppressed. You know, we, we can't even, you know, we can't have our degrees. We can't be empowered in our sexuality with our bodies. We, and, and we can't seemingly have relationships with whoever it is that we happen to fall in love with. And so this idea that there's, again, walls up on all sides. You know, we can't be educated, we can't be empowered, and, and we can't have a relationship with whoever we want. And so what is it that we actually can do? And so it's, you know, it's a thing. And like I said, I'm going to have another episode talking about this. Um, I hope to have a co-host um, for that episode. But, you know, things are subject to change. I do have another episode coming out, though, specifically about black women and dating and, and that sort of thing. And I do have um, a really close friend of mine who is going to join me for that episode. And, and you guys will hear more about that in a couple of weeks. And so it's, it's you know, again, it's this idea of interracial relationships being something of a um, sellout perspective or, or people being called sellouts and it's the same thing on the other side with with black men and white women you know and, and now the special part about that though is that for black women most of that criticism about them dating white men comes from well it, it definitely comes from both black black women and black men but with black men, the criticism seems to come from black women, that they date white women. And it's interesting because it's like, okay, well, if that is what's happening, you know, why, why aren't black men calling each other out, I guess, you know, and, and which I think plays into the factor of why black men date white women or, or why they're perceived to date white women and usually again and it's just a framing thing it's framed as black women date white women and in the process they they push down the black woman so it's like i'm dating a white woman because black women are and then insert every negative quality you can think of um Whereas when black women date white men, there isn't that same, uh, there's not that same duality of black women going, well, black men are, insert all negative qualities, and that's why I'm dating a white man. It's usually just, I'm dating a white man because I'm dating a white man. Um, and, and black men don't seem, don't seem to have that same experience, um, which, like I said, we're going to talk about it later, and we're going to find out. Um, now, again, keep in mind that when we have these conversations with, with other people, they're still only singular people, um, and, and black people as a whole are not, one of us does not speak for all of us, and so with myself as well, as well as any co-host I may have on, they're just telling their experience. They're telling their, you know, their reasons for things, and, and do not take that as you know, it works that way in the entire black community or with any black person you may meet, become friends with, date, or whatever, that they're going to have the same ideas because they're not. We're all different. And, you know, it's... I, I, I definitely think that this month... It's, it's definitely been educational this month. I've definitely been looking at a lot more, you know, videos or, or resources or, or articles about the black experience and what that's been like and, and even more so what it's been like now living in 2021 and, and even from last year living in 2020 about what it was like to be a black person and how we dealt with things that seemed to be insurmountable and yet here we are on the other side dealing with them as always right and so again I just want to put it out there for any black identified people of color who are listening to this, it is okay. It is okay to be who you are, 100% who you are. It doesn't matter if other people like it. It doesn't matter if other black people like it. Be you, you know, be 100% unapologetically you. 
and who cares about everybody else tell everybody else to go kick rocks because you are allowed to be whoever you are you know your blackness does not box you into anything just as well it doesn't keep you away from anything like you are free to be whoever you are and your blackness is only one part of it okay it is and if you identify more strongly with your black identity and it is a more prominent thing for you great if it's not and it's just a facet of who you are that's okay too you know but definitely you know learn something new about you know our culture this month like really you know that's something that's been going around too a lot of people keep saying well I want to get back to my roots I want to get back to my roots I want to get back to my roots do it learn something new about the black culture about the black experience that you never knew before and get back to your roots if that's what you want to do I will be the first one to tell you to take that step and you know if you have trouble finding finding information Google is a very lovely resource but you may have to do some hard thought out you know interacting with people you may not you know ever may not have ever thought you would interact with for that information and that's all a part of it stepping out of your comfort zone to really find the information that you're looking for and again do not feel pressured to educate anyone else be they be they also another person of color be they another black person be it a white person anybody else in between if you are feeling like you are the token person that people are always going to to be like hey you know how do you feel about this as a black person or you know what would what would people in the black community say about this you don't have to answer them you do not owe anybody any explanation about your blackness you don't owe anybody your story you know you don't owe anybody your experience as a black person Because again, you do not speak for all of us, and we do not speak for you. You know, everybody's experience is going to be different. So do not feel like you have to educate everybody that asks a question. You do not. You can pick and choose who you educate. You can pick if you educate at all. It's completely up to you. But do not feel like you have to go out of your way to explain to somebody why something is racist or why something would be you know, problematic to a black person or why something would be seen as an issue to the black community. That's not your job. If they want to know that bad, it's their job to find out. It's their job to do the research. It's their job to seek the answers that they're seeking. It's not your job to answer that for them because you already know what it's like. They don't. They th- they're the ones that want to know. So if they want to know that bad, they'll do what they need to do to, to find out. And if they don't, they're lost. That's on them, you know. So, again, I, I say to all of my black identified people of color this month, enjoy it. It is our month to celebrate who we are as a people, who we are as individuals, you know, and we deserve it. I mean, you know, we deserve a whole lot more, but you know what I mean, like, We deserve it. This is our month to showcase our excellence, to showcase our black people magic. And we're going to take it. We're going to do it. And we're going to keep innovating. We're going to keep creating. We're going to keep, you know, doing what we know how to do best, which is survive. And, And to those of us who have gotten to that point where we're thriving and no longer surviving, keep thriving because you're because you're creating ways for the rest of us to keep coming up. So. That is, that is what I'm leaving you guys with. So keep doing you, keep being real, keep, keep keeping it 100. And I will see you guys next week.